Welcome to the Poultry Nutrition Black Belt Podcast, the latest poultry nutrition research digested for you. We want to thank the innovative companies and products whose support and trust make this podcast possible. Anatox, partnering with the world's food producers to develop and deliver innovative programs to efficiently produce safer food. Carry, proven on the farm, trusted on the plate. Carry is where technology is made. Cargill works with poultry producers to drive customer profitability by being a leader in applied nutrition. Hello, welcome to another episode of the Poultry Nutrition Black Belt Podcast, where we discuss uh, the latest in poultry nutrition research and industry trends in about 10 minutes. I'm one of the co-hosts, uh, Sam Rochel from Auburn University, Associate Professor of Poultry Nutrition, joined today by Dr. Peter Selly, uh, coming to us from Australia. Peter, how are you doing today? So far, it's only early, but good. <laughs> Great. Well, I appreciate uh, appreciate you joining us uh, beyond the and, and uh, handling the time zone difference here. Um, but it's I'm really excited to talk with you. I'm, I'm always excited to, to read your work and, and hear you speak and keep up with what you do. Um, but for those who may not be as, as familiar, can you give a little bit of background about uh, what you're doing now and then kind of the career path that led you to, to your current position? Oh, dearie me. Well, um, I sort of stumbled into poultry by, by accident. And I'll, get, I'll answer your questions uh, in not, not in the same order, but <laughs> I, started, uh, I was talked into doing a part-time PhD at Sydney University uh, back in 98, and I did that, and then uh, mainly with Wayne Bryden and Ravi Ravindran, and then that rolled on and we got involved with sorghum and this, that and the other. And um, right now uh, we've got a consortium where there's five tertiary institutions involved in this one mega consortium project and uh, our bit is, is poultry nutrition and what we're trying to do is to reduce uh, the, the Australian chicken meats industry dependence on imported soybean meal, well, basically by whatever means we can. And so as it stands, we're, we're importing over a million tonnes of soybean meal, mainly from, the Argent, um, mainly from Argentina, and uh, that's costing us uh, in US dollars about 650 or maybe $700 a tonne. Mm, wow. So we're trying to, we don't think that's sustainable. So what we're looking to do is to reduce our dependence on that imported soya bean meal by two methods. One is to reduce crude protein contents of diets, which is more of a problem with wheat than with maize-based diets, unfortunately, and um, our chicken meat industry is dependent upon wheat and sorghum or milo. Uh, we hardly, no, maize is hardly ever, or corn is hardly ever, ever used. And the other thing is we've got an abundance of canola. We, we, we're a major exporter of canola, and yet... Um, very, people normally don't go past 10 or 15% inclusion of canola meal and or canola seed in their broiler diets, and we're looking at ways and means of uh, increasing our usage of locally grown canola 
and also reducing the crude protein content of our broiler diets. Yeah. that's what we're trying to do yeah yeah no well i appreciate the context and i think it's helpful because there are a lot of people working on you know reduced crude protein diets uh, for different reasons uh welfare environmental um and certainly i know those are important for you as well but obviously you have a little bit more uh immediate economic need due to to the geography that you're located in as well yeah, I, I, you know, I think we're paying, oh, I don't know, $200 round figures, just shipping costs to get the soya bean meal to us. Yeah, yeah. And then that's got an environmental load in and of, you know, in and of itself. Sure, yeah. No. So I know you've looked at this from a, a lot of different angles um, uh, around this, uh, you know, the protein and the starch dynamics. Um, you've recently published some review papers, uh, sent one over. I was looking, you kind of summarize the different experiments that your group has been working on this. So, I mean, you know, big picture, what's really happening when we feed uh, wheat-based reduced protein diets um, that is uh, preventing the performance that we have here? From, from uh, what yeah. this point? <laughs> yeah, I think that's a $64 million question, but <laughs> I'll try. Um, I think the short answer is we don't really know, but okay, I think we do know. Uh, certainly, I think we, we've identified some of the factors. I think the big one to me is that, um, it's it's Irish, you know, that's a politically incorrect, but it's kind of odd. But the higher protein content of wheat means that you end up with more crystalline synthetic feed-grade amino acids in a wheat-based reduced crude protein diet than you do with maize. And I think that is as an inherent problem because I think inevitably you're ending up with amino acid imbalances you're getting deamination of surplus amino acids that are surplus to protein requirement or protein synthesis at the time, and that in turn leads to a buildup of uh, systemic ammonia levels. Uh, and we think that um, plasma ammonia levels, systemic plasma ammonia levels, uh, are really um, uh, 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 a real drawback. And there's a recent paper, uh, I don't know, I can't pronounce the gentleman's name. There's a recent paper from Brazil and where they've got, where they did assess plasma ammonia levels and it was related to um, the higher the plasma ammonia level, the worse the performance and, all, and that really is stemming from higher levels of crystalline and synthetic amino acids. So in short, I think you've got a ceiling on how much, you know, just how much non-amino, uh, how much synthetic amino acids you can cram into a diet before things get a bit pear-shaped. And I think with our problem, I think with wheat-based diets, we've just got to accept the fact that maybe we can't reduce the crude protein content of the diet to any more than, say, three percentage units. Whereas we've we've run experiments with maize-based diets. And three, uh, sometimes we've even got numerical improvements in performance with a reduction of, say, three percentage units. But with wheat, uh, oh, wow, a, a reduction of three percentage units, we're on thin ice. And if we go to, say, five percentage units, uh, some of these birds just crash and burn, literally. Right, right, just, yeah. Um, and then I think there's... Um, 
the state's dynamic, it's, we can't really get a handle on it. But the, I think the more uh, the fact is that wheat starch is more rapidly digested than starch from maize or corn, and I think that uh, I think that's got that's creating a problem as well. And I think probably what you need is whatever they are, the appropriate or the synchronised digestion rates of protein and starch, and uh, just how you get to that point. I'm not sure. And then with wheat, I think you've got a couple of intrinsic problems. One is gut viscosity stemming from soluble non-starch polysaccharides. And I know, I know, you're going to say, hey, there's not there's not a truckload of a wheat-based broiler diet that leaves a feed mill without xylanase in it. Mm-hmm. But I think even so, you've probably got more higher gut viscosities with wheat-based diets with or without xylanase than you would with corn. So I think um, they, I think you could probably spend a lifetime and get nowhere, but I do think the appropriate xylan- uh, NSP-degrading enzyme at the appropriate inclusion rate uh, you know, could, could be a real plus. But that, you know, that's a lot of work, and boy, you kind of shooting at shadows. And then I sort of um, wonder with wheat whether the gluten content uh, is challenging gut integrity. Maybe, maybe not. And the other thing that I don't know if it's a factor, but wheat does contain uh, trypsin amylase inhibitors, which if they're a real factor, and I, I'm not saying they are, but if they, if they are a factor, well... That's going to increase endogenous losses, and obviously that wouldn't be a good thing. But I, I doubt if that's a practical issue. I don't tend to think it's not, but we have no confirmation of that. Ready for more sustainable poultry production? New data suggests that decreasing bacterial loads in feed using Termin 8 supports entric health, leading to improved performance. Gut health is more than a gut instinct. Learn more today at www.anatox.com. Awesome. Awesome. Well, hey, I appreciate it. I appreciate you taking the time. I I really enjoy your work and what you do. And uh, I think, uh, you know, the the way that you uh, are looking at this biochemically, but also connecting it back to, you know, the ingredients and the whole agricultural supply chain, I think is a, is a pretty unique way. And I think that's why your, your work is, is so well received. So I really appreciate what you're doing there. Oh, Sam, it's been great talking to you. I've really enjoyed it. (laughs) Thank you, Peter. Hey everyone, we're always searching for the latest and greatest research to share each week. And if you have a poultry nutrition related research trial and would like to come on the show and talk about it and share it with us, feel free to email the research link, uh, the paper where we can find it, or the abstract to hello at wisenetics.com. That's hello at wisenetics.com. And I look forward to hearing from you.